What is up, Hockey IQ listeners? I'm here to chat about our newest sponsor, Sensorina. Your brain is one of the most important parts of your body. Why not invest in a tool that allows you to train it? With Sensorina, athletes can gain a competitive edge using VR training. Players are able to go through a scenario thousands of times without having to step foot on the ice. No more waiting around for puck touches or perfect scenarios. Sensorina can enhance reaction time, decision-making, and multitasking abilities, making you the next MVP. I mean, if the LA Kings are using it, it's got to be good. With our promo code HockeyIQ, you receive $50 off an annual plan purchase. Head on over to Sensorina.com to check it all out. On today's podcast, we bring on Anthony Donskov of Donskov Strength and Conditioning. Uh, what a wonderful human being, first and foremost. Uh, secondly, he is really good at what he does, um, and I'm glad that he simplified it for us after uh, starting down a trail that was maybe geared towards strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, so I, I enjoy this on so many levels. What about you, Dan? Yeah, that was awesome. I'll say this just generally speaking. I am so uh, energized by people who are passionate about whatever it is they're passionate about. And the energy he brings is so palpable. You can just feel it. Uh, I've had the chance to hear from him a few times at like uh, USA hockey clinics. So we kind of go into that a little bit, but like you said, there's a ton in here for, I think anybody, parent, coach, player, um, you'll be better off for listening for this. A lot of, a lot of wisdom. Um, he, he liked poetry. So I, I think that came out in spades uh so he's short sweet to the point last thing i'll say and greg props to you for asking his father paul is a is an absolute legend and trailblazer in the columbus hockey community you would have to go out of your way if you live in columbus to not feel the ripple of what he did all those years for the city for the sport um so good on you for for giving uh, Anthony the opportunity to talk about that because I think that's super valuable. We'll link to um, the scholarship fund in our show notes, and uh, we would encourage anyone listening to take a look at that. Yeah, it's right at the end, but I think it's, it's one of the most important facets of this. Uh, And I think the one quote that will sum this up before we get going is coaches are like gardeners. Uh, They create the environment that leads to the growth Without further ado, our conversation with Anthony Donskov. On the podcast today, we have Anthony Donskov uh, of Donskov Strength and Conditioning, uh, very well known in the Columbus community and hockey community as a whole. Uh, glad to have you on. Thanks for coming. Hey, a pleasure to be here with you guys today. Thanks for having me. So for those that don't know you, maybe give a quick background where you came from, what facility you run. Uh, maybe some of the programs, things like that. Sure. Um, I don't know if your listeners can can see me, but I'll try to keep this short and sweet like my hairline and I'm bald guys. So um, a little bit about me. Uh, I'll try to give you the footnote version. Uh, born uh, and raised the first half of my life in Canada, born in Burlington, Ontario, raised in London, Ontario. My family moved uh, to Columbus, Ohio in the early 90s uh, when hockey was just at the infancy stages of, of starting to grow. Um, to give you an idea, when we first moved here, about 96 participants in youth hockey uh, in Columbus. Now we have thousands. So uh, the, the hockey demographic was very different when we first moved. I uh, had the opportunity to play uh, junior hockey. I had to move back to Canada in order to do it. I played in St. Thomas in Durham, Ontario. Um, went to Miami of Ohio and was able to play four years of college hockey at Miami of Ohio. A few years after, I uh, played in the minors uh, uh, and then... Um, Believe it or not, my undergrad at Miami was business. Uh, I went back to school to get a master's in exercise science, uh, pursuing my PhD right now at University of uh, Western Ontario uh, in London, Ontario, Canada, and own and operate a strengthening and conditioning facility, Donskoff Strength and Conditioning in Columbus, Ohio. We've got about a 3,000 square foot footprint. We've been in business, uh, business, excuse me, since 2005. So uh, going on our 17th year. Yeah, well, I, I know the story, but for our listeners, how did you guys end up in Columbus? Um, yeah, it's, uh, my mother, we're dual citizens, my brothers and I. Uh, my mother's uh, American and my father's uh, a resident alien uh, Canadian. My dad was born in uh, Belgrade, Yugoslavia, came over on a boat actually when he was 12 years old. So, um, 
you know, it was a, a combination of my mom and dad meeting, uh, having a family, starting a family in, in Canada. And then uh, it was a combination of some opportunities, job opportunities opened up for my father. And then just uh, thinking that there may be some more opportunities for us in the States, moving closer to my mom's side. So it was a, at that time, I mean, it was an extremely difficult uh, life move for us. I, I was uh, 12 turning 13. Um, but, uh, you know, looking back, uh, I'm happy we did. I love both places. I call both home and I'm proud to be a Canadian and I'm proud to be a, a U.S. citizen. So both great places. So you work with a lot of athletes, but specifically hockey athletes. So I'm curious about what the differences are when you're working with a hockey player versus general athletes. Um, and I know this is going to feed into the part where hockey is, is not an early specialization sport. So curious uh, why that is. Well, yeah, I, I think um, first and foremost, it's not that different when you're training young athletes. Um, you know, I think young athletes need to learn uh, a, a solid foundation of movement. Um, they need a bandwidth of, of, of uh you know, the ability to balance, uh, the ability to run, cut, change directions, uh, to be able to handle their body weight eccentrically, isometrically, concentrically, and, and just a, a good old fashioned um, strength and conditioning program works wonders regardless of sport. Certainly there's caveats here and there based on, uh, on um, the patterns and, and, and quote unquote um, overuse patterns in certain sports. But for young athletes, I don't think it needs to be overly specialized. I certainly think as athletes get older, um, there's a need for that based on, um, on, uh, on whether it's position, uh, whether it's previous injury histories, whether it's the biomechanics of the sport that may lead to overuse injuries. I think uh, once an athlete uh, gets uh, five, six, seven years of training age, that there's an opportunity um, to, to specialize a little bit more. Um, your question on the back half of that was, why is hockey a late specialization sport? I think when you look at the long-term athletic devel development model by Balier, uh, and, and they, they try to dichotomize early specialization and late specialization. But if you look at early specialization sports, just to name a few, you've got like gymnastics, you've got figure skating, you've got diving. Those come to mind for me. Those are routine based. Um, there's uh, prerequisite movements that need to be mastered. Um, and then uh, they need to be uh, rehearsed. Uh, and essentially they come across in competition. Hockey's not like that. Hockey's organized chaos. Um, yeah, you need to be able to skate. Yeah, you need to be able to change directions, but you need to be able to think. You need to be able to read and react. Um, and um, a solid foundation um, of non-pre-rehearsed patterns. I should say, obviously, you're going to start by learning to squat, hinge, et cetera, and learning both in um, um, block learning and random learning. But hockey's a lot different. There's, there's, it's, there's no, there's no um, you know, there's no rehearsal. Uh, the game, uh, uh, the game relies on being able to read and react and using those patterns. And the more that you have to choose from, um, you know, more than likely, uh, the more efficient you'll be on the ice. So um, it's it's a, it's a wise idea uh, to have many interests and be the master or jack of all trades and the master of none at an early age, and then start slowly, you know, taking a shotgun approach and then slowly moving to more of a rifle-like approach as you get a little bit older and and figure out what you love and 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 uh, um, and what you don't like. Sometimes it's a process of elimination just based on psychology. Right. Aside from early, I'm sorry, uh, like specific specialization, early specialization, what mistake or mistakes do you see most frequently in young hockey players? Like, like while they're training? Um, well, I think from a general baseline, um, I can answer it. Uh, I can answer it. I, I, the biggest mistake I see is the more is better mentality. Um, and, and I can speak to it away from the weight room, you know, whether it's, uh, um, you know, summer, summer showcase tournaments, um, a combine prep, um, whatever it may be, or young athletes just aren't getting off the ice. I also see, you know, w when I was a young uh, athlete uh, growing up in Canada, our tryouts were at the very end of the summer. Um, I'm all for long-term athletic development, but you know, what's happening now is, is it's, it, there's a, there's an arms race here where if organizations don't have their tryouts immediately after the hockey season, they're where they're going to lose out on players. So you've got a young player that's in the middle of peak hike velocity, you know, it's maybe 14 turning 15 and he might grow three inches over the summer and gain 20 pounds. But when his tryouts are a week after season's over, you're going to, you're going to miss opportunities to allow that youth athlete to grow into his or her body. 
and possibly be a totally different player towards the end of the summer. Um, so that's an organizational uh, issue that I see. And I think that it's kind of keeping up with the Joneses from a parent's perspective. It's more is better. Let's go get X, Y, Z combine. Let's go X, Y, Z and get this summer showcase tournament. Let's play, play, play and not focus on, um, on, on, on other things. And more than anything, just, just, just get, get your mind out of the game, right? Just, just have fun, be a, be a kid. And then from the training standpoint in the weight room, it's this idea where, you know, it's it's almost that uh, mentality, unfortunately, where you, you see a lot of uh, a lot of things on uh, on on social media that really aren't training. Uh, I hate to say it like that. I mean, training's a monotonous kind of it's kind of a boring process when you think about it. I remember uh, talking with a Hall of Fame coach, um, uh, and this sticks out with me so 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 uh, in my mind like uh, uh, like it was yesterday. But I asked him who the best player he ever coached was, and immediately he gave me an answer. And I'm a pretty a curious person. I said, why? He said he embraced the monotony of being a pro. And if you think about that for a while, uh, uh, this guy's a Hall of Fame uh, a, a hockey player that he's talking about. Think of how many times he shows up, has the same pregame schedule, tapes his stick the same way, eats the same pregame meal. There's a good, there's a monotony also to being a coach, a good coach, right? Um, your program doesn't have to be on a, on a BOTSU ball with your eyes blindfolded or, uh, you know, uh, with wearing a, elevation mask uh while hitting smacking battling ropes right and the, the sad thing is or this you know is you got young impressionable kids that see some of this stuff and they think that's really training um so i see that from the training standpoint uh unfortunately i, I don't know if some people call it entertainment I, I don't i don't go there but unfortunately i think some of the young kids are really highly impressionable and think this is really great training um so i, I see that as issues uh in the domain of of, of the youngster and then obviously the parent and the organization, I think it all amalgamates and, and um, it can create issues. I think that's where education comes in. You know, we've got to do as coaches a better job. Obviously, I think USA Hockey is doing a great job and Hockey Canada are doing a great job of, of educating parents. But it comes from education. It comes from educating people and, and, and doing your best to, to, to leave the game better than when you when you entered it. That's awesome. And. I'm all for long-term athletic development because uh, I've known so many players that have gone through their careers and even friends and, and they have these overuse injuries because they just never got off the ice, uh, particularly goalies. I'm wondering what you're seeing in differences between training players versus training goalies. Um, is it more stretching? Like what kind of specifics do you see are, are most beneficial? Yeah. I mean, I don't disagree with you, what you just said, but it's tough to, to tease out uh, causation uh, and correlation there. Um, and what I mean by that is, yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I think you're going to give yourself a higher probability chance of injuring yourself by never getting off the ice. Um, but I mean, uh, it could be multifactorial in nature. It could be structural, right? It could be from bony abnormalities. Uh, it could be from a previous injury. Obviously, what you're talking about is the goaltender and, and, and the butterfly position of goaltenders, which can expose them to pre-existing or, or create, excuse me, movement issues if there's if alignment issues or structural issues, ham impingement, pincer impingement. Um, so we take that into consideration when we train goaltenders. Um, for our goaltenders, uh, uh, you know, we'll do a lot of single leg posterior chain work, um, a lot of uh, posterior cap, uh, uh, posterior hip uh, mob stuff where they're they're really posting, uh, self mobilizing their posterior capsule to get back in their hips because they live in flexion, and internal rotation. Uh, so those are those are those are some excuse me of the ways that we'll we'll throw in uh, whether it's what we call uh, resets, activation work for goaltenders, or how we'll structure their program really staying away from heavy loaded, deep bilateral work and, and, and focusing more on posterior chain and single leg work. Uh, and don't get me wrong, we still bilateral lift, um, but we might get those in, in, in a trap bar deadlift or, or something a, a little bit different where we're taking the, the position, uh, the repetitive postures, though, those positions into consideration when we're looking at a, a menu list for an athlete. I know we kind of have an idea of that, but I'm assuming majority of the listeners are going to be a little confused when you're talking bilateral and all, all this jargon. Would you mind breaking down some of those specifics and kind of just the quadrants of training? Yeah, sorry. Of course. Um, bilateral, I mean, on both legs. So a, a back squat, for example, unilateral would be some sort of a single leg squat, right? 
And typically when you're, when you're bucketing or you're creating patterns and, and uh, if for the non-strength coaches out there, you, you can bucket them many ways, but a lot of people will bucket like a knee dominant, like a squat, a hip dominant, like a, a deadlift of some sort and a push and pull. Maybe it's a bench press for your push and a dumbbell roll for your pull. Um, and uh, as strength and conditioning coaches, it's our job to, to, to uh, assess the athlete, uh, and then program those menu items accordingly. For some, it might be extra pulse. For some, it might be extra push and, and somewhere in between. So I hope that helped. And sorry, I thought uh, that uh, I was speaking to more of the strength coach population. So my no, that's, apologies. I'll be honest. Like I, I know it like 80% well, but I should know it better. So it's helpful for me too. <laughs> Actually, that's like a perfect lead in. So I know you most recently from, I can't remember, maybe like a year or two ago, the uh, USA Hockey Coaching Certification yeah. Course. Uh, and I'm sure you give presentations on those all the time. And so, you know, you're asked basically to do the impossible, which is distill like years and years of experience. And I'm sure like hours worth of presentation material down to like a 45 minute, you know, like that's gotta be brutal. Like I can, I can empathize with that, but I guess I, I'll leave it open-ended. Like what, what are your, like, what problems does that leave you? Like what, how do you distill all of this into a 45 minute conversation with, you know, coaches from all different backgrounds? Yeah, I, I think, I think, um, especially for the USA hockey, it's for, 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 for me, it's what can I give, uh, what action items can I give their coaches, uh, that they don't need to have an exercise science degree to carry out for their respective age demographics. So whether it's uh, leaving that coach with a dynamic warm up, some sort of fun game, I call camouflage work, um, or uh, perhaps it's an article that they can read, uh, something that they can educate themselves uh, uh, away. Um, but I call them, you know, action items. So it's difficult to do, for example, if I'm tasked of speaking to USA Hockey and I know the age demographic and perhaps it's peewee and below, I'm going to focus on fun, small area games off the ice, something where their athletes are, are, are having a ton of fun yet focusing on some a sound fundamental physical capacities. Um, and then maybe on the, at the PB level, I'm going to leave them with a dynamic warm up and I'm going to explain the importance of them both. I'll have video tied in with them both, something that they can tangibly take back and work with their team. So when those athletes are able and ready for a strength and conditioning program, a structured strength and conditioning program, they know uh, addition and subtraction before they get into multiplication, which is a structured strength and conditioning program. Yeah, it's it's a challenge, but it's uh, it's a passion. So it's it's uh, it's just something that um, hopefully I do an okay job of, and hopefully those coaches can take something away from. So say we've got a coach who has basic experience with this stuff, but really isn't an expert yet, or even overly experienced. Uh, what should what should coaches like myself and Dan uh, know about strength and conditioning and take away and work with on our team? Um, just maybe if we're doing general training off ice stuff, not so much in the weight room. That's a great question. Uh, there's a ton of free resources and good resources that, that I would point, uh, point you to, but I would say um, if, if you can get anything, um, just the, the, the importance of a good solid dynamic warm up uh, from foam rolling to uh, some mobility exercises um, and uh, a dynamic warm up. So a, you're not wasting ice time once you get on the ice because ice is a very valuable resource. And then two, you know, you're prepping those athletes to move better. And believe it or not, at a young age, probably the best form of conditioning is just good overall solid movement. If an athlete can squat lower, chances are not always carry over on the ice, but they've got more time to produce force. There's more impulse. So just by moving better off the ice, the hope is to carry over on the ice, but at, at least you're going to prepare them best. Uh, when they're uh, into a, a structured program. And I'll say this as well from a coaching standpoint, you asked what can you do? Hypothetical situation, you don't have a background in strength and conditioning. Speak out and speak with people who do, if you're going to have them work with your athletes. Who are these people? What's their background? Because anyone with a pulse can be considered a strength coach. Um, and that's sad. I, I hate to say it. And the barrier of entry into our profession is nil, which makes anyone with a pulse be able to be a strength coach. So, Educate yourself. Ask a lot of questions. Who are you? What are your results? What's your philosophy? What are you going to do with my guys or girls when you train them? Um, and 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 uh, reach out to your resources. If you don't think you like those answers, or if you don't know if that answer is a great answer or not, try to rely on resources you have and 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 um, and contacts you have to tease out that and get your your athletes in good hands. Wonderful stuff. Continuing along with that and 
with coaches working with their, their groups, what are some things that we need to understand with in season and getting them into the gym and working with guys like you during the season or just things that we should be aware of as we're developing our schedules? Do we need to make sure they're doing stuff in the gym twice a week, three times a week, what kind of stuff? Uh, Cause obviously the season's a very taxing time, especially with like example, high school or juniors uh, where, you know, you're playing two or three games on the weekend. Absolutely. It's a great question. Um, I, I can speak on behalf. Uh, again, I don't know that the, the, the schedule make up uh, for, for what you guys are faced with right now, but I can speak. We've trained a, 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 a tier one AAA organization for the last 15 years in Columbus, Ohio. And the amount of ice these kids get on a, a weekly basis is uh, a, a miniature national hockey league. These give, I mean, we, do, we collect all the data and they have a busy day every day of the week, whether it's practice, whether it's game or whether it's some sort of strength and conditioning schedule. So um, looking at something like that and people say all the time, well, you know, don't lose strength. You can get strength. And I don't disagree, especially for young athletes, but um, when the schedule is that packed tight, it's almost what can you take away, not what can you add. So I'm fond of in, in season, I call it cappuccino training. It's short, sweet, you get out, right? Again, like my hairline, it's non-existent. You get in there, you get a stimulus. The most important thing is uh, when there's competing demands, the most important thing is the sport, right? So if it's a, a high school strength and conditioning program or a high school hockey team, I'd say in a perfect world, which we don't live in, two times a week in the weight room, uh, no more than an hour training. Uh, the focus should be... Uh, low volume. So it doesn't need to be, you know, four or five working sets, one to two working sets. Intensity can still be high. So the rep, reps counts are kept low and you can, you can maintain and gain strength and not be sore and overtaxed. And again, for the non-coaches out there, the non-strength coaches, this is where our jobs come into consideration as well. We as coaches, we want to choose exercises from our menu list that don't create, create a lot of delayed onset muscle soreness, right? Because when that's competing with hockey games, that, that's our fault. And I'm pointing the thumb, right? Nobody wants to show up for a game that's important and have uh, sore uh, uh, quads or sore hamstrings because of weights. The most important thing during the season is, is hockey. So we need to make sure that the athletes are fresh and ready to compete. We do that by balancing stress. That's the goal, trying to measure that. Typically, the first uh, program is a, uh, the first day of the week is more of a strength-based program with uh, low volume and heavier weights. And the second Towards the games is more lower volume power work where they're working submaximal weight and they're they're moving things fast, uh, so they're fresh for the game. It's not a perfect science, uh, but it's a combination of subjective and objective measures that we'll use, and uh, and we'll get a lot of feedback from the athletes uh, in the in the in the term as well to make sure that we're on the right path. So does that lead to more isometric type exercises where you're kind of just holding and not really getting the contraction? Yeah, it can. Uh, we, we use ISOs, uh, isometric exercises during the season. Um, for those who don't know that term, essentially isometric means ISO, meaning same position. So there's, there is quasi like you're going to, you're going to have contraction, but you're holding a pattern, trying to push an immovable force, pull an immovable force or resist an immovable force. And, and the just behind that, again, in this case, I, I believe Greg, you're asking is, can you do something like that without creating a lot of soreness? And the answer to that is yes. You can stimulate the nervous system with isometrics without getting a ton of soreness, like you would in, in, in a lengthening type contraction, like an eccentric exercise. So we will use those. It's a tool. Um, it's one of the tools that we may use. It's a method that we'll use during the season um, to, to try to get that stimulus that we talked about without getting the players sore. Um, so isometrics are used for us in season without confusing the listener. Again, we would use what we call an overcoming isometric. That means that we're trying to push or pull against an immovable object, uh, for five to six seconds max, uh, to stimulate, um, uh, muscle fibers and get the nervous system primed. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So, uh, we were talking offline before, but we send some of our kids to your facility, I, I guess. Mike, I'll leave this one vague on purpose too. Like what's been the journey like from starting to now? Like obviously the growth has been outstanding, but I'm curious like what it's been like behind the scenes. Yeah, it's been fantastic. So we're dealing with a younger demographic, right? Um, and uh, the, the goal for us day one is to really instill 
just fundamental movement pattern, right? Uh, so we don't want to have load over dysfunction. We want to teach them how to move. We want to teach them how to move well, move often, and then we'll slowly start uh, loading our athletes for them at that age. Uh, our, we'll manage and measure just based off uh, um, each workout's uh, uh, you know, each workout they notate each workout, uh, we can see from what workout one to workout 52. So really for us, the biggest measure is, okay, are you moving better? And if you're moving better, are you getting stronger? And how, if you're getting stronger, um, um, you know, for example, if it's a pattern, like a, a squat, a, a goblet squat, um, you know, what's the difference in, in weight that they've used from week one to week three, week three to week six. Um, are they getting stronger? Uh, and and uh, to me, uh, after they learn to move and get strong, a lot of good things happen, right? If they haven't gone through peak height velocity yet, that means they haven't gone through their growth spurt. When they do, we strength coaches are going to look like uh, absolute heroes, and we're not. It's just the athlete growing into his or her body, right? And shoot a bunch of testosterone in there, and all of a sudden their weights go up two, twofold, threefold in the course of you know a summer. Um, but when they reach that point, they're going to have a sound, solid foundation of physical literacy, which is really, really important. The other thing I'd say too, which is just as important, Daniel, I, I'm convinced is I hope if every asked every one of those kids that, that came into our gym, they'd love it there. And they say, this is a fun place to be. Not only is it well coached, not only is it well structured, but I enjoy coming here. I like the people. Uh, I like the way they coach me. Um, and I don't view this as work. I view this as a process and I feel like I'm getting better each and every time I come in here. So we might not um, uh, test um, um, this age demographic as we would, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, our pro group in the summer, uh, but their testing is just simply their workout. And we want to modify and look at, uh, at what they've used uh, pre and post. Uh, we want to make sure that's done in a really safe environment. We want to make sure they're having a lot of fun in the process. So to answer your question in, in a long-winded way, it's very rewarding seeing that happen. So following up, obviously you're, they're doing the work, they're having the fun, but there needs to be a nutritional aspect to this. Um, and I've always had problems with kids that immediately after the game and they're putting sugar in their body. Um, am, I, am I right or wrong if I'm a youth coach or a high school coach telling my kids to have a protein shake after the game? No, I don't think you're wrong. Um, certainly, uh, I think uh, uh, you're going to have different opinions on this. Uh, I've, I've, I'm very good friends with a nutritionist. You know, some of the standard uh, um, uh, recommendations you might see were chocolate milk after the game. I, I don't mind chocolate milk. I have a good friend who's very good at what he does, and and uh, he despises. He doesn't like chocolate milk. He said, "Have a teaspoon of honey under your under your mouth after a game. That might be better than chocolate milk because of all the sugar." Um, but you got to essentially remember it after the game, their glycogen or their, 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 their fuel stores are low to begin with. Right. Um, so after the game, banana is good, um, a, uh, get their electrolytes back potassium and check, and check, um, a, uh, a protein shake is not bad. I would suggest if it is a protein shake, it's something with carbs in it, maybe a three to one mix because essentially their energy stores are low. If you can get something with good carb to the protein ratio, I think that's more than fine. Um, nothing takes place of a good meal, right? Uh, so right after the game, you're not going to have a, a three course or four, four course meal cooked for you. So I think a protein shake is not a bad option. If you're relying on protein shakes as you would for a meal and you have time to eat, I think you're making a mistake. Um, nothing's going to take the place of a good nutrition and nutrient dense meal. Also too, and I'll go on and on on a tangent about this. I, I don't believe that nutrition has to be overly complicated. Yes. Um, I'm simplifying a little bit. Everybody has different body, right? We, in, in, in exercise science, we call it a mesomorph. Picture, picture a mesomorph when they take their shirt off, they're ripped. It doesn't matter what they eat. They look like, uh, you know, a beach body. We all have teammates that have had those. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, he's suck, sucking down a Slurpee and he's, he's ripped like a diamond, right? That's a mesomorph. Ectomorph is someone that's very, very skinny. They can eat whatever they, 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 they try their hardest to, to gain weight and they just can't seem to gain weight. And then an endomorph, which is where a lot of people fit, right, is, is, the, is the, the, the heavier, chubbier person. And they, whatever they eat, they, they wear in the mirror, right? And all three of those body types or somatotypes eat a little bit differently. But it doesn't have to be massively differently. I think if you can remember a couple of good habits, you can make eating 
really, really simple. And these habits I've borrowed and stolen over the years from a lot of good resources. Number one, when you're looking at a plate, the first thing on your plate should be some source of protein. The less legs, the better. So fish is your best choice of protein. It's got good essential fats in there. That's why. The second choice of protein would be chicken, right? It's got two legs. And then from there, obviously your choice of, of beef, right? Um, when you have a serving size, you guys see me, I'm holding my hand up. If you cut all my fingers off, my palm would be your serving size of meat. Okay. So for growing adults, two serving sizes. Um, the next thing on your plate, vegetables. Okay. Here, here's the biggest, one of the bigger mistakes I see young athletes make, especially endomorphs, kids that are trying to lose weight or look lean is vegetables are, are a carbohydrate and so is bread and pasta. You know, but they're very different. They have a very different effect on the body, right? One, it has massive amounts of nutrients and minerals, vegetables. Other doesn't. And other drive your blood sugar up, makes you store fat, right? There's nothing wrong with either. I'm not debating either. But if your goal is to stay lean and mean and have minerals and nutrients and give back to your body, vegetables are going to be a little bit more superior food source, right? If it's something on the go and you have to get your carbs, immediately or you're trying to gain weight, that might be a better food source. So when you're thinking about vegetables, second thing on your plate, make a fist, two servings of vegetables, you know, pick your poison there, Bro broccoli, cauliflower, green beans, right? I mean, there's a million different snap peas, um, um, uh, red peppers, green peppers, vegetables. And the last thing on your plate, no, you can have fat, of course, you can cook with good oils. Last thing on your plate is going to be your, your quote unquote, uh, more uh, grains and starches, not your carbohydrates. If I make a cup, one little cup per plate. So that's your rice. That's your sweet potatoes, baked potatoes. Not a lot there. Okay. That's your pasta. So I think if you keep it simple, you will end up that 80, 20, 80% of the time you're going to be making good choices. Start your start your plate with pro uh, protein, then uh, 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 vegetables, then uh, your grains. If you're going to have them, drink a lot of water, get a lot of sleep, and you'll be ahead of the game. That's great advice. And that's honestly, that's, that's the advice that I need to hear too. <laughs> Let's just we be all, honest. Yeah. That's the thing, right? there's, yeah. there's, a re there's a reason we all wake up. Uh, there's a reason when we're watching TV, we want to raid the potato chip uh, cupboard and not the broccoli cupboard. That's right. right. Those well, foods are engineered for us to eat more. Yeah. They're all synthetic crap and they want to say, hey, I fall victim to it as well. <laughs> you're, you're talking and I'm looking at my hand like that's not enough, man. <laughs> I'm going to need more than that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, okay. Hey, before we get too far off it, like I, I wanted to ask you at the beginning, but we got away from it. Like you're clearly passionate about this, but you studied businesses and your undergrad. Like how did you make this, this jump? Like what was the journey like to go into this? Yeah, that's a good question. I, 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 and looking back, I don't regret being a business minor. I mean, I, I run a business now with, with my brother uh, who, who does the lion's share of the business. He's fantastic. Um, but, but I think a lot of it's rooted, uh, you know, keeping a business open, you better, uh, you better know your stuff. But um, I think it was for me just um, trying to follow what it was that I loved. I don't know if that's great advice either. Uh, I would warn uh, some people against that. I mean, not doing what you love, but sometimes you got to do your passions on the side and then slowly build into it. For me, I was lucky enough to have two amazing supportive parents. I don't think I could have, I, I couldn't have done it without them. But when I was done playing hockey, I remember uh, um, at the time um, interviewing for several businesses and sales. And I thought, man, I just can't do this. This is not what, what I want to do. Uh, at the time, I, I was done playing uh, minor pro hockey. At the uh, at the time, I was playing in a league in Texas, which is equivalent to like double A baseball. So your paycheck uh, was was pretty much non-existent. You did it because you loved it, we, and it was a great time. I wish I was able to do it for ten more years. But I remember thinking, I, I don't want to do this. Um, what is it that I want to do? And one of the things that I always loved is I loved the preparation process. Like I actually loved preparing for the season. Uh, some players do, some players don't, some players can't stand the weight room. It's just kind of like, ah, get me in, get me out. I always loved being in it. So uh, I, I knew that I wanted to give that a shot because it wasn't work for me. It was something I loved. Um, started small, started out of the trunk of my car. At the time I was living with my parents, had their full support. And then it just eventually grew and grew and grew. 
Uh, from there, it went to a, a, a you know, about a six, 700 square foot studio, which is a postage stamp. And now, um, you know, it's, it's led us to where we're at right now, which is not a super huge place, but not a small place. We're in about, you know, 3000 square feet. It's enough to get us on our teams in there and four coaches in there. So, um, it, it was a jump that I couldn't have done without the, the help, support, and love of uh, my family, my mother, and father. Okay. And then as a quick follow-up to that, then, like, obviously, you've had a ton of success, and it's like an institution in Columbus. What's, like, you know, what's the five years out look like for you, or is it more of the same? Like, is there anything that could make it even a, a better product somehow? Um, you know, I, I think it's uh, – I think it's, I want to say more of the same. Obviously, we want to continue to evolve and grow, um, you know, continue to educate ourselves. Our programs will change with that. When we think there's a better way of doing something, we're going to do it. Um, I think there is going to be a little bit more of a tie in the future with us and, and, and being a little bit more objective in some of our measures, uh, using technology with some of our, uh, our teams and, and our athletes, um, continue the education process through USA Hockey. Um, and then our hockey school as well. That's one thing I haven't spoken about. Um, last year would have been our 21st year, but we had to uh, uh, unfortunately not have a summer because of COVID. So this year will will be uh, our 21st year, and it's uh, it's been a, a very rewarding experience. I, to be honest with you, I, I, I can't believe it's that long. Um, uh, participants in our first uh, our participants that we had last year, excuse me, two years ago weren't even born when we first started our hockey school. So that's been a, a pretty awesome, awesome um, um, accomplishment that I'm really proud of. Uh, my dad started our hockey school. Uh, we're a very, very close hockey knit family. Um, both my brothers are involved in the game, one working in the National League, and then uh, obviously my other brother, Matt, that works with me. And um, so I, I'd really like to continue to have our hockey school thrive in Columbus uh, another 20 something years so I can watch my nieces and nephews get involved in the game and, and, and uh, be a part of that school as well. That's absolutely wonderful. And I love to hear that and how close you are with your family. I know not everyone is that lucky. So that's gotta be fun for you. Yeah, we, uh, it's a, uh, it's a labor of love. The game's been a part of our family for a long, long time. Um, I, I vividly remember as a young kid, our father taking us to OHL games, the London Knights were the team, um, that we uh, had watched uh, growing up as kids. And then it's crazy how life works. Um, you know, uh, geez, I think I, I'm going to this don't quote me on this exact date, but I want to say 10, 12 years ago, my brother was working with the Knights. Um, yeah, that was one of his first jobs in the Ontario Hockey League. Um, and uh, I remember my dad being able to come back and, and seeing things full circle. It was really special um, to be able to, to come back and, and, and back to our stomping grounds and, and this time in a little different environment was uh, was awfully fun to watch as a son. That's wonderful. Well, jumping back into it, um, curious. You've talked a lot about connecting with your athletes and having a good environment, having fun. Um, well, why is it so important to you to have your athletes understand the why and have good communication, have that two-way street? It seems like most people just go into the gym and I do whatever the person tells me to do. Uh, it seems like that's not your strategy. That's a good question. I think communication is a better off um, really for coaching. Um, it's, it's interesting. I, I'm speaking now as a 42 year old coach. I think if you asked me 15 years ago, I would have told you the periodization method, the planning method, the exercise. The reality is, is, is that's all fine, but no one wants to spend an hour with NASA. Excuse my French. Sorry for your listeners. You got to be able to communicate. And um, I think another lesson that I learned uh, along this way is, is coaching is a lot like parenting. At a young age, a more directive approach many times is warranted. You know, I will not speak, you know, hey, Tommy, um, you know, here's what I want you to do. Here's why I want you to do it. Let's go get it done. That's very different than I might be speaking with a second, third, fourth year pro. It's much more of a cooperative approach. Hey, what do you think about this? This is what I'm seeing. And this is what, uh, this is what I think is going to help us. And here's why. What are your thoughts? I want that to be a communicative I want it to be a cooperative approach. Um, and that doesn't mean that, you know, as a coach, you give in to whatever the athlete wants. No, it means you try to educate, but you make them a part of the process. And what I found over time is that is extremely, extremely important. It's important for buy-in. You might say placebo. I don't care placebo or not. What I've learned as well is that 
many, many times the perception of the program is more important than the program itself. So I think those are really important lessons. Last but not least, I, I use the word environment. Uh, I heard this, this quote, and I've used it on podcasts several times. Uh, it was a book uh, that I read. I think it was called The Talent Code. And they used a reference to gardeners, but I, I, I put coaches in this category. And I say coaches are a lot like gardeners. Gardeners don't grow flowers. Gardeners create an environment for flowers to grow. So as our job as coaches is to create an environment, you got to do that with trust. You got to do that with accountability and love. Trust me. I, I think another thing, if you build a good enough relationship with your athletes is coaching is a lot like, uh, like life. Life can be a big bowl of whipped cream or a big bowl of shit. The artful coach knows when to throw a little of each. You know, an athlete's down, not feeling well, you throw a little whipped cream. Someone's too high on themselves, a little too cocky, uh, you know, is, is, is not doing what he or she needs to do. Maybe it's the other, the latter, but it's an art. And if, if, if there's trust in there, if there's cooperation and love built in there, and if there's accountability built in there by good communication, whatever you throw, you should get receptive, uh, uh, some sort of receptive feedback. So uh, those were lessons I've learned over the years. I think communication is extremely important. And I think being a part of the process for older athletes is extremely important. Our young athletes, it's more directive. Our old athletes, first question I ask all of our returning pros, hey guys, here's, here, here, here are my thoughts. What are your thoughts? What's worked for you in the past? Do you like this? Give me your feedback. I, I, I want that. I thrive on that. And I think that helps uh, build buy-in and foster trust and love. That's wonderful. I love that process. It's very similar to how I like to coach, which is creating an environment where it's a, it's a teaching educational environment rather than a dictator or a dictator. Absolutely. 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 So I'm curious, uh, continuing down this path of working with athletes and educating, is there some data or some just important points? Cause I've found that each field seems to have a few key things that just influence many different areas. I'm curious in your world, if there's any data that players, coaches, parents uh, should know about. Oh man, that's it. I think we're, we're infatuated with data now. Uh, we, we track it with all of our, our teams. We, we know we have a profile for what it would be like to, to be a U18 player in this organization, how many chin-ups you should have, how many, you know, what's your 10-yard sprint, et cetera. Uh, it, I could share that with you, but I, I, that would that would be for my specific sample size. Every sample size is different. So there's not there, there may or may not be a lot of carryover. For parents, I'd tell you this, and this is the best, this is the best metric you can have. The best ability for your child to have is coachability. That's what I'd tell you for a parent. For a child, I'd say, and and, and for an athlete, I'd say. Get strong, understand that it's a, a means uh, to an end, not an end to a means. Um, you're, getting, you're doing that to be a better hockey player, not a better weightlifter. Um, the biggest correlates for on ice performance, skating wise, notice I said skating wise, uh, after all of the, the research that I've delved through through my PhD, really is the ability to jump and the ability to sprint. Those are the best correlates to on ice skating performance. But hockey is more than just skating. Obviously, it helps to be a good skater. Obviously, for a young athlete, getting stronger more than likely will help them get faster, more powerful. So as a young athlete, work on everything, right? Uh, when you get older, there's, there's going to be a little bit more of a need to specialize. And I will say to older athletes, this, and this is a metric that you think, the best way, and I love guitar. That's my, that's my passion away from, from, from writing programs, poetry and guitar. I would say the best way to be a good guitar player is to play the guitar. We would look at a, a, a teacher crazy if we said, take the entire summer off and work on your finger strength. You'd look at them and say, are you kidding me? So if you're an elite, elite athlete, the best way to get better is actually focusing on your sport. Notice I didn't say skating and, and conditioning all summer. I said skill work and working on your sport. That comes at a physiological price. You see a guy like me less, believe it or not, not more. Why? Because the best way for you to get better playing your guitar, playing hockey, is to work on the skills that make you who you are. So I'd say to young Tommy, get strong. In doing so, you'll get faster and more powerful, which will help you be a better skater. Those are the best correlates. For an advanced hockey player, I'd say play the game. Focus on your skills. When I say play the game, I don't mean don't have an offseason. That's not what I mean. I mean Focus on the skills that make you who you are in the off season. Focus on training as well. 
but you're going to get better by focusing on those skills. And for a parent, I'd say, have your son or daughter be coachable. That's the best ability of all. How do you like those metrics, Greg? <laughs> Absolutely yeah. wonderful. And that answered the uh, next question I had, which was uh, the best off ice exercise as it relates to the quickest on ice uh, performance increase. So I think you, you nailed it. Beautiful. All right. yeah, yeah, perfect. I, yeah, last one for good. me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I, I included, so just, I, I'm infatuated with numbers now. And as we talk about data and sports science, I think it's all awesome. I think what we have to remember is when we're sharing numbers, it's, it's our sample size. It's who that we work with. Uh, I also think that uh, a lot of times, and I can speak for myself, is we look at these numbers and, 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 and uh, it's almost like we're coaching a computer and not an athlete. We can't forget about that as coaches as well. Um, and I think, uh, um, you can measure heart, but you can't measure heart. You know, I, I can find out what your HRV is, your heart rate. And I think that's all important. I think it's very important. But at the same time, I would say the best test is to start from the scoreboard and work your way backwards. Start from the scoreboard and work your way backwards. Um, and I think if you do that, you'll realize that you can, it's, it's almost a process of elimination as opposed to what you can add, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I was going to ask, like you, you answered like three of my questions there on that last one. So yeah. I'll, I'll end with this one and, and thanks for your time. Yeah. We really appreciate it. What, what's like one thing, maybe a mistake that uh, you can pick coaches, players, parents make, and what's one thing that you think that generally speaking, we've gotten right. Wow. I think setting the path for your son or daughter, uh, is a mistake. What I mean by setting the path, I don't mean not like I, I look at my, my childhood, my dad gave us every single resource. My dad was an immigrant. My dad had nothing. He came to this country with nothing. I was extremely, uh, we were extremely spoiled comparatively speaking, but my dad never set the path. My dad's rules for us were, listen, I'm not going to, if I'm going to invest my time, you're going to work and you're going to be respectable. And, 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 and I don't care how many goals you score, or how many assists you have, you're going to want to do it and you're going to work hard at it. I think that's pretty fair for a youngster. Make sure your son or daughter, you're not setting the path, meaning you're dreaming on their behalf. I think that's a mistake that, that we're making right now. Um, I say we're making, you know, it's, it's, it's this more is better mentality. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that can be improved upon. What is one thing that I think we're getting right? Well, I think we're doing a better job now educating um, at least when I look back when I was a youngster, I think, I think we're doing a better job. Again, I've been a part of the USA Hockey Lectures. I, I know Hockey Canada is a superb job as well. Um, so I think that, that's grown leaps and bounds. Um, and, and I think now what we need to continue to do is not just leave that, that education in the classroom, meaning now we need to have actionable education, meaning now that has to, we have to take that information and, and, and use it with our respective teams, whether that's manipulating schedules, whether that's inputting dynamic warmups, wherever they may need to be. I know that's a lofty goal, but I do think the education is there. I think there's a lot of really smart people involved, um, but it's a work in progress. It's always going to be that way, especially in the U S with such a large population in Canada, where like every single person plays hockey, it's always going to be a work in progress. Um, hopefully the best part is you've got really passionate people there that, that really want to make a change that love the game and want to leave it better um, when they leave as it was when they, uh, before they got there. That's wonderful. And just have one last, uh, I'm going to call this like T-ball. We're just going to set you up because I think it's something that needs to be touched on um, because it's super important. Uh, well, one, backtracking, one, uh, you've got two great books that I think everyone should go out and buy. Um, so you want to touch on that. And then secondly, uh, and probably most importantly, uh, maybe talk a little bit about the uh, Paul Donskov Legacy Scholarship, um, and I'll leave that there. Oh, thanks, guys. Uh, well, first of all, appreciate your support. Yes, I've had the opportunity to write uh, two books, uh, two-part series, uh, Physical Preparation for Ice Hockey, one and two. Uh, the first one was really um, uh, our uh, um, philosophy, underpinnings, um, everything from long-term athletic development, energy system work, building a strength and conditioning program, um, for youth athletes, uh, our younger athletes. Um, and uh, it was a, it was a fun project. I, I wrote that in 2017. And then in 2020, 
I wrote the second manual called the Gain Go Grow Manual. And really it's a delve into critical thinking. It's a delve into how we focus and train our, our, our athletes, uh, our really competitive hockey players. So our athletes with uh, training ages of six, seven, eight years, most of those players would be national, you know, playing college hockey, American Hockey League, OHL, Major Junior, or the National Hockey League. So that book was really geared towards them. But again, I'd, I'd urge the reader, it's, it's just as much, it'll question the way you think and, and how, you, how you think. Um, as opposed to, it's, it's just as much about hockey as it is uh, thinking critically. Um, the Paul Donskoff Legacy Scholarship, thanks for, thanks for allowing me to speak a little bit about this. Um, we come from a really close family. Uh, last year was a really tough year for everybody in our family. We lost our, our hero, my father, um, in April 15th, 2020 to lung cancer. Uh, my dad was a pioneer, Columbus, Ohio. Uh, literally, when I say pioneer, when we came here, the landscape was barren for youth hockey. Um, and through my dad's contributions, and we have thousands and thousands and thousands of youth hockey players signed up to play in Columbus. And, and there were other people involved as well. But my dad was a, a pioneer in that effort. Everything from the education through USA Hockey to, uh, to growing the game with multiple organizations, um, um, you know, uh, and, and uh, really serving as liaison here uh, uh, for hockey in, in, in Columbus, Ohio. So we teamed up with the Columbus Blue Jackets um, and, and created the Paul Donskoff uh, Legacy Scholarship Fund. It's part of um, um, the Blue Jackets uh, uh, scholarships uh, and, uh, and their community page. And uh, if you don't mind, guys, I, could you guys link that in the show notes, the actual fund? Or on um, it. But that would be great. Uh, if, if anyone's interested, it'll be awesome. The monies go to a uh, high school senior every year. It's a scholarship that plays hockey that, that will continue on uh, uh, educating themselves at the university level. My dad's two big passions were hockey and education. And these monies will go to help uh, a high school senior uh, pay um, uh, some of their tuition, uh, whatever it may be uh, at their first year of university. Your dad blazed one hell of a trail and we're all lucky to be part of his legacy. So thanks again for your time. We really appreciate it. And uh, like you said, we'll put the, the link in our show notes. Really yeah, this was awesome. Thank you. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Appreciate your time. Guys, continued success. Thanks for what you guys are doing. You guys know where to reach me if you need me, okay? Awesome. Take care. Take care, guys. Thank you for tuning into the Hockey IQ podcast. We are Hockey's Arsenal, Greg Rivak and Dan Ducart. Together, we've come together to create a platform and a community to expand our hockey intelligence, hockey IQ, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we're very passionate about seeing this game played smarter and better and continue to develop itself uh, to the next level and staying on the cutting edge of things. So you can find us at Hockey's Arsenal on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. We're also at hockeysarsenal.com. Uh, from there, you can find some resources and some options to work with us. We're excited to continue this. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, follow, and share. Uh, you can also join up for our newsletter as well, where we're going to tackle anything Hockey IQ related. So we're excited to have everyone here and continue to build. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.